0: Well, good evening, everybody. We are in Esther chapter 5 this evening. Uh, So I will uh, read it to us and then we'll have a a look at what it teaches us uh, together. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's quarters while the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. And when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, She won favor in his sight, and he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. And the king said to her, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given you even to half of my kingdom. And Esther said, If it please the king, let the king and Haman come today to a feast that I have prepared for the king. Then the king said, Bring Haman quickly so that we may do as Esther has asked. So the king and Haman came to the feast that Esther had prepared. And as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king said to Esther, What is your wish? It shall be granted you, and what is your request? Even to the half of my kingdom it shall be fulfilled. Then Esther answered, My wish and my request is: if I have found favour in the sight of the king, and if it please the king to grant my wish and fulfil my request, let the king and Haman Come to the feast that I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. And Haman went out that day joyful and glad of heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gates, that he neither rose nor trembled before him, he was filled with wrath against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home, and he sent and brought his friends and his wife Zeresh. And Haman recounted to them the splendor of his riches, the number of his sons, all the promotions with which the king had honored him, and how he had advanced him above the officials and the servants of the king. Then Haman said, even Queen Esther let no one but me come with the king to the feast she prepared. And tomorrow also I I am invited by her together with the king. Yet all this is worth nothing to me so long as I see Mordecai, the Jew, sitting at the king's gate. Then his wife Zeresh and all, her fri- all his friends said to him, let a gallows fifty cubits high be made, and in the morning tell the king to have Mordecai hanged upon it, then go joyfully with the king to the feast. This idea pleased Haman, and he had the gallows made. From a young age, we make plans, we do plans of all sorts. Maybe the first sort of plan that we make is what we're gonna do when we grow up. So, I'm sure if I asked you all, we would have an array of train drivers and teachers and nurses and all that sort of stuff, pilots and so on. And it's rare, isn't it, that we actually become those things. Maybe some of you uh, wanted to be doctors, and I know various of you are doctors, but maybe you wanted to be a train driver and you became a, a doctor. But we make plans, we make plans every day. We do plans like the shopping list. We plan to go to the supermarket. And uh, during the time of COVID, we found out that planning to go and buy toilet rolls or at the moment eggs isn't as straightforward as we think. Uh, we make uh, plans and often they, they come to fruition. We are able to do what we plan, but there are times when those things don't happen. And, and of course, a lot of the time it doesn't matter. we can cope with our eggs uh, and so on. We live in the United Kingdom and, of course, the weather affects so many of our plans. We make plans to have a barbecue and then it pours down and we have to cancel and so on. Sometimes it's things to do with our health or things to do with other people that um, affect our plans and stop them happening. But whether they succeed or they don't succeed, it doesn't stop us making plans, does it? We make plans every day. Uh, There's a a proverb that I I would like to commend to you. Proverb, uh, it's in Proverbs 19, verse 21. It says this. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. It's a helpful uh, proverb because it tells us why our plans succeed and why they, they fail. And it's nothing to do with whether our plans were clever. It's nothing to do with whether our plans were righteous. But it's all to do with whether it's the Lord's will for those things to happen. Now, I've been struck in the past reading about uh, King, Nathan, uh, King David and Nathan the prophet These were two righteous men of God. And you would think that if they agreed on something, then it would likely come to pass. But if you remember that David uh, had the idea of building the temple, and Nathan came to him and David explained this, and he said, go and do that. that's a good thing. And yet the Lord spoke to Nathan and told him that that wasn't going to happen, that indeed something much greater would happen. And that's one of the joys of having our plans overruled. Uh, that the Lord works what is best for the kingdom and ultimately best uh, for us. And I think that that's what, um, what pins together the two aspects of, of chapter 5. They're quite different. The first um, eight verses are quite different from verses 9 to, to 14. But I think the whole idea of, of men's plans versus the Lord's plan is the thing that, uh, that binds them together. Now, Esther's a a helpful book for us to look at because it's much more like our lives than we might think. You think through the books of the Bible that there's so often a prophet there, or there are disciples, or there's the Lord himself uh, speaking. But we're not in those circumstances, are we? We don't have a prophet, we don't have uh, one of the disciples, we don't have people that are writing scripture. And so in many ways, our circumstances are, are similar to those that happen in the book of Esther. And yet we see the truth of this proverb being uh, worked out. Many are the plans in the mind of the man, of a man, but it's the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Now, in this book, we don't only find out what um, those that are following the Lord do. We don't f- only find out about Mordecai and, and Esther, but we also find out what's going on in the king's life and in, and in Haman's life. And it's helpful for us to therefore see those things because we can have this strange idea that those that look materially successful are happy and joyful and everything that they do uh, goes well. And that at times we can find life in a fallen world a a drudge. We can find it difficult, can't we? And so we can look at those people and say, look how easy uh, things are uh, for them. But we see Um, in this uh, chapter, that that isn't uh, necessarily uh, the case. Now, we're in a better situation than Esther and Mordecai were because we have uh, not only the end of their story, and I'm going to try and not spoil it for any of you that haven't read it yet, but also we have the whole of Scripture, don't we? So we know about the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension of the Lord Jesus. We know that even though the disciples didn't understand what was going on, And even though Peter wanted to try and stop Jesus being crucified, although he revealed that that was the plan, that it was the Lord's plan. And so these things are to teach us that his plan is always what is best for us, that we would humble ourselves and and recognize those things. Acts uh, 2, on the day of Pentecost, when Peter preached, uh, he, he, he spoke very clearly of this. He said, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and knowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men, but God raised him up. It's telling us that Jesus' death took place because it was according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, but also it was because of lawless men uh, that he was crucified and killed. It was man's plan to kill Jesus, to get rid of him, but it was God's plan to bring about our salvation through Jesus' death on the cross. So knowing these things, we can be, we can be certain that things are all working together uh, for the good of God's people. We can be certain that nothing is going to stop the Lord Jesus from building his church. So as we look at this passage, I want us to see three particular things about the Lord's plan. And there'll be things that you know and that you understand, most likely, but they're things that are helpful um, to us in living our uh, day-to-day lives as we seek to, to live for Jesus. So the first is that the Lord's plan includes answers to our prayers. The Lord's plan includes answers to our prayers. Second one is the Lord's plan includes giving wisdom to those who ask for it giving wisdom to those who ask for it. And then thirdly, the Lord's plan includes thwarting the wicked. So let's look at these three points together. The Lord's plan includes answers to our prayers. Now if we went back a few verses into the end of chapter four, we would uh, see that Esther was fearful of the king and of her own death. She knew the circumstance that Uh, had been brought about by Haman's evil plot to destroy the Jews. And so she said this in verse 11 of chapter 4, All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter, that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king These 30 days. So we see Esther's fear of the king and the fear of the the likelihood of her own death. And then we had Mordecai challenge Esther in the next couple of verses Do you think to yourself, sorry, do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews? For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise from the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom. For such a time as this. And then we saw uh, finally in the last couple of verses that Esther has a a great change of heart and she uh, has a plan. So she says, Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Esther calls the Jews in Susa to hold a fast. And, and, and holding a fast didn't mean that they just um, didn't have eat, uh, food and drink for three days. It meant that they were going to pray. Well, you can look throughout the word of God and praying and, and fasting always go together. Or fasting. Praying always goes with fasting. Fasting and praying don't always go together. But you understand what I mean. Now The situation was very serious. There were lives at stake many lives. The edict had gone out to all of the the provinces that King Ahasuerus um, was over and in the Lord's kindness it had been pushed back to the very end of the year hadn't it if we remember uh, back in chapter 3 and so there was 11 months to sort out uh, this situation but Esther wanted them to put to fasting and praying straight away and so after this period of fasting and praying we're told in verse 1 that on the third day Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace, in front of the king's quarters, while the king was sitting on his royal throne, inside the throne room, opposite the entrance to the palace. Wow, that's a very, very clear picture, isn't it? And if you've watched TV last Saturday, you might have a good idea of what this sort of thing might look like. We saw King Charles being um, uh, being enthroned and so on and we saw all the, the pomp and the circumstance that, that came with it. But this was something much more serious, wasn't it? Esther was going to the, the king with the desire to try and uh, to stop this plan that was happening. And this was the key moment in her plan. If this didn't happen it all falls apart. She, if if the king doesn't hold, open, hold out the golden scepter, she's no longer gonna be gonna be the queen. She's gonna go uh, the same way as, as Vashti. But we're told in verse two that the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court. She won favor in his sights and he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hands. Then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. And we can take a big sigh of relief. First step done. The Lord had answered uh, prayer this far. We've already looked at one proverb. There's another proverb that is uh, helpful for us to, to think of at this moment. It's Proverb 21 verse 1. And it says, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He directs it like a water course wherever he pleases it. So even the decisions of a pagan king are in the hands of the king of kings. What an encouragement that is to us. So Esther's plan, or at least the first part of it, had worked and surely we are to see this as an answer to prayer and an encouragement that the Lord answers prayer. They had humbled themselves, recognized that they did not have the power to do what they needed uh, to happen and they came to the one who is able and who answers the prayers of his people. Now the Lord did not need the people to pray he did not need them to pray to cause the king to see Esther and hold out the scepter. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He directs it like a watercourse wherever he pleases. But their prayer was part of his plan. That's an amazing thing. You know That God's, God weaves our prayers into his grand plan. Just to, to point out how amazing this is, listen to what Paul says in Acts chapter 17 when he's, he's trying to uh, explain to the, the, his pagan audience what the Lord is like, and he says, "'The God who made the world and everything in it, "'being Lord of heaven and earth, "'does not live in temples made by man, "'nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything.'" He doesn't need anything, no. "'Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath.'" And everything. Yeah, that's what our God is like. He's the one that not only provides for us, but He provides for all people. Yeah, he doesn't need to be served by human hands, but He chooses to be. And that's astonishing, isn't it? He chooses to weave the prayers of people like us that nobody knows. We're insignificant, aren't we, in the eyes of the world? And yet we get the great joy of being involved in the Lord's work, the building up of his church, and so on. What an encouragement to, to pray. Now maybe this is the point where we stop the service and we all drop everything and we, we get on our knees and we, we pray. But we marvel that the Lord would do this and that we're so overwhelmed with his goodness to us. Or maybe we continue the service, and then we cancel all the, the things that aren't necessary in our lives, and we commit ourselves to pray because prayer matters, that the Lord does things because His people pray. And again, I want you to picture what it would have been like for Esther to have gone to the king. So she's going in much fear and trembling. Now, she doesn't know if he's going to hold open, hold out the golden scepter. Perhaps there's somebody standing next to the king with an axe or a sword and that if someone comes and he doesn't want them, he just, all he has to do is say a word and that person goes and that life is ended. How different it is for us when we come to the Lord Jesus in prayer. You know, we don't come to a, a king that we need to bend his arm behind his back or or convince him in one way or another to, to let us come in uh, to his presence nor do we need to coerce him into to answering our prayers to, to taking a, a moment of his time to take care for us No, we already know that he is for us don't we we already know that he came into this world before we cared about him and that he laid down his life for people like us before we had even thought of him. In fact, even before any of us were, were born. We should conclude as the writer of the book of Hebrews says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. It's not a throne of fear, is it? It's a throne of grace. And so what an encouragement to pray. The Lord's plan includes answers To our prayers. So secondly, the Lord's planning includes giving wisdom to those who ask for it. Now, prayer does not guarantee the outcome that we seek. We do not bind the Lord by our prayers, do we? He can say no, or he can say wait, or he can say yes uh, to anything uh, that he uh, so purposes. So the king calling Esther forward did not guarantee that she would be granted her request, nor did it mean that Esther could now approach the king. However, she wanted now that he'd shown her uh, his favor. She needed to deal uh, wisely with the situation. And wise people pray for wisdom. It's one of the things that's really striking, isn't it, when Solomon is... Uh, about to become king, and, he's, and he and he prays. The Lord says to him, "What would you like? I'll give you anything." And he asks for wisdom so he can lead the people well. That he required wisdom to ask for wisdom, didn't he? It was a wise thing uh, to do. And, the, and Esther needed wisdom now. Look at verse three. The king said to her, "What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given you, even." to the half of my kingdom. What a, an offer. Surely this was the time to ask for exactly what she wanted. But no, look at verse four. Esther said, if it please the king, let the king and Haman come to get today to a feast that I've prepared for the king. So the king organizes for Haman to accompany him to Esther's feast. And as they drink wine, the king says to Esther again, what is your wish? It will be granted you. And what is your request? Even to half of my kingdom, it shall be fulfilled. And Esther again doesn't, doesn't tell him what she wants. But again, uh, she says, my wish and my request is I have, if I found favor in the, in the sight of the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my wish and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come to the feast that I will prepare for them. And tomorrow I will do as the king has said. And I don't know, as, as we read those words, there's a couple of obvious questions that we might want to ask. Firstly, why two feasts? That's an obvious question. But then the other one is, why on earth would you invite Haman to either of them, let alone to, to both uh, feasts? Well, Esther had three uh, problems to deal with as she sought the king's favor. Remember that the king had Decreed an irreversible law regarding the destruction of the Jews. So that was problem number one. Problem number two was that law had been suggested and commended by the second most powerful man in the empire, Haman. And Haman had been promoted on numerous occasions by the king, so he was obviously favored by the king. And then there was a third problem Esther had never told the king that she was a Jew. Now, I tried to work it out. I think at this point, she's been queen for about four and a quarter years, and then there was the period of time where they had all the, um, the women in the, the, the harem and so on. So it's probably more than five years that she's hidden from the king uh, that she's a Jew, and she wouldn't know for certain how the king would react to finding uh, out about that. But she also knows certain things about the king, Chapter 1 makes it very clear that he loves feasts and that he had half a year of feasting and I'm sure there've been many feasts uh, before then as uh, my wife often reminds me as Anna often reminds me the way to a man's heart is through his stomach and so it seems to be uh, the case here so she knew that she also knew that the king hadn't called her into his presence for 30 days and so just being in his presence a few times might help and also that the king Valued Haman. So she got the king very wisely to declare, not once, but twice, that he would grant her request and give her whatever. In fact, in the next chapter, you get it a third time as well. But that second time, Haman was there as well. Haman hears uh, what the king has promised. And I guess, in one sense, the more times the king promises something, the more likely he's going to actually do uh, what he says. But also by doing this, and particularly by having Haman come along, it doesn't alert him to any suspicion, does it? And we see that in the the latter part of the, the chapter, where he tells everybody how great he is. She acts with great wisdom. And this is someone that was fearing for her own life just three days before. So what had changed? Well, we know that Esther had prayed. We know that Mordecai had prayed. We know that the people of Susa had prayed and we can be pretty sure, can't we, that they were praying for for wisdom. They would know that she would have to speak to the king and that she would require wisdom for that. The Lord answers uh, the prayers of his people by giving Esther wisdom. James tells us that this is the case for all of God's people. He says in chapter 1, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith uh, with no doubting. So we can be wise, can't we? We can seek the Lord for wisdom, and and as we come to him humbly asking for his help, we can expect him to, to help us. And so that's interwoven into the Lord's plan as well, that the Lord gives his people wisdom. He gives us uh, his word so that we can believe it and act upon it. So my question to us is, why would we not want to come to pray? Because we all find prayer hard, don't we? And we all find that we can easily find time to do other things, but we find prioritizing prayer hard. It's a strange thing, isn't it? That we come to one who is uh, for us. We come to one who loves us. We come to one who has made great promises to us and who even calls his throne a throne of grace, and yet we're still so poor at doing it. Maybe we don't believe that the Lord will answer our prayers. Or maybe we believe that we are not good enough to come to him, that he might answer our prayers. Or maybe we think that other people will be praying the same thing so we don't need to to pray. We can have all sorts of different reasons why we might not come to pray and we might not come to pray asking for wisdom. None of those reasons that the Lord has told us not to. None of those reasons are that he has said, no, you can only come on the second Thursday of every third month. He continually tells us to come to him. And so we're encouraged that his plan includes answers to our prayer. We're encouraged that he gives wisdom to those who ask. So let's set to praying Let's be encouraged that the Lord's plan involves our prayer and He loves to hear us pray. But then finally, verses 9 to 14 the Lord's plan includes thwarting the wicked. Now, in these final six verses, we're given an insight into what's going on in Haman's heart. Now, we wouldn't normally know this, would we? But here it is revealed to us in the Word of God for our help. Now, it appeared that Haman could not be happier. Look at verse 9. You can almost see him skipping as we read these words. And Haman went out that day joyful and glad of heart. And then you can imagine if it was in a film, there would be an abrupt change of the music when we read these words. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he neither rose nor trembled before him, he was filled with wrath against Mordecai. Look how fragile his happiness was. He sees Mordecai at the king's gate, and even though Mordecai is a relative nobody in comparison to who he is, he is filled with wrath because he doesn't honor him as he believes he should be honored. Well, Haman manages to restrain himself from reacting, and instead he goes home and he consoles himself by gathering his friends together and his wife And talking about how great he is talking about his riches his big family his position in the king's court and how much greater he is than all the other servants sounds like a crazy thing to do doesn't it but we remember that the disciples just after jesus had told them that he was going to they were going to go to jerusalem that he was going to be handed over to be crucified and that he would rise on the third day the disciples were arguing about who was greatest So Haman tells these people his greatness, his wife and his friends, and he tops it all off by telling them about the feast that he's just been to. Verse uh, verse 12, Even Queen Esther let no one but me come with the king to the feast she prepared. And tomorrow also I am invited by her together with the king. His friends and his wife would be under no illusions of how great Haman was. Yet Haman was not happy. And even speaking about how great he was didn't seem to help. And often, people that are like that, that does help a lot. But rather he says this, yet all this is worth nothing to me so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. You know, he's purposed, hasn't he, to put Mordecai to death, to remove him and... That hasn't happened yet his plan has been pushed back 11 months to the end of the year and so he's going to keep seeing mordecai day after day and each time he sees him it's going to annoy him so what can he do about it so his friends have a plan hey this is a great idea why don't you do this why don't you build him a great gallows 50 cubits high to hang mordecai on Go and tell the king you're going to do that and hang him in the morning and don't worry about anything. All will be good. And we're told that this pleased Haman. I'm sure it would have pleased him. Haman didn't stop to think for a moment why Mordecai was not fearful of him and did not give him honor. But that wasn't part of... God's plan, and Haman was far too self-obsessed for such thoughts. He was bothered about people giving him honor and glory. How different the Lord Jesus is. He deserves to be worshipped and adored by all people. Yet, even though he was treated so badly, he was called all sorts of things. And then ultimately, he was arrested and beaten and flogged and crucified. At all points, he sought to do what pleased his father, to do his will. How different the Lord Jesus is uh, from someone like Haman. And how different, therefore, we should be as his people. Surely we should see that. We are undeserving of being in his kingdom, and yet we are in his kingdom through faith in him. That we should want to honor him, shouldn't we? We should want to worship and adore him and and do all things that uh, are right and proper of such a king. We should think like the Apostle Paul thought, who considered all his achievements as nothing in comparison to knowing Jesus Christ, his Lord. A polar opposite of, of what Haman was like. Haman spent his time trying to tell people how great he was, whereas the Apostle Paul spent his time telling people how great Jesus was. And that's our role, isn't it? But perhaps we get stopped from doing that because we're frightened of the people around us. We're frightened of what they might say, frightened of what they might do. Mordecai wasn't frightened, even though Haman essentially had his life in his hands. Because Mordecai knew uh, that only the Lord's plan is the one uh, that happens He knew that Haman's big problem was with his heart, that his heart wasn't right with the Lord's. But Mordecai knew the Lord, and he knew that, therefore, the Lord would provide for his people, as he said uh, to Esther when he challenged her. We're not to be fearful of those around us, are we? They're not to stop us doing things. But even if we are fearful and even if our our fears were realized, we are to see that these things are in the Lord's plan for our good. Remember Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They would not bow down to the king, would they? They would not bow down to an idol. They only wanted to worship the Lord. And so they would go into the, the fiery furnace and they said, even if the Lord can save us if he wants, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow down to you. you know, they wouldn't allow evil to happen. You know, that they wanted to, to honor the Lord. They trusted his plan for their lives, that if he chose to save them, he would save them. And if he chose not to, uh, he would not. The Lord is able to thwart all evil plans, isn't he? but he's also able to turn evil plans against those that perpetrate them. He chooses not to stop some. Again, we read that uh, towards the beginning, didn't we? About the cross. It was the evil plan of wicked men to put Jesus to death. But it was actually the the very central point of, of history and without which Uh, We could not be saved from our sin. So the Lord's plan includes thwarting the wicked, and there will be more of that in the the subsequent chapters. So I want to just leave us with a little summary and a challenge. Firstly, let us put ourselves to pray. Pray knowing the Lord's plan will take place but that his plan includes answers to our prayer, our prayers. And how encouraging that is for us in a time of change as we look for a new pastor and so on, that he wants us to be praying and that he answers our prayers. We can be praying for wisdom, can't we, for one another in life in general, but also in these big uh, choices and decisions. And again, asking um, that he would lead us and guide us And we can also pray, can't we, that his will will be done even if it means difficulty and hardship uh, for us because we know that many are the plans in the mind of a man but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. And as we were reminded this morning, the purpose of the Lord ultimately is that I will come again and take you to myself that where I am you may be also. Amen.